You're listening to the Hill City Teaching Podcast, a recording of the Sunday morning service at Hill City Church. We would love to have you join us in person. More information can be found at www.hillcity.church. Good morning, everyone. This is from Psalms 146. I'm going to start and, and open with this today. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. God, thank you for gathering us together today. Thank you for giving us the chance to to hear your word, to hear you. God, open our ears today. Open our hearts Allow your good news, your word, to fill us, to become so part of who we are that we can't help but share it, Lord. God, we come to you today expectant. We answer your invitation today expectant. God, we are expecting you. We are expecting to encounter you, to to hear from you, to speak to you. Lord, we love you so much, and and we look forward to everything that you have in our life. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to see everybody here today. Uh, Thank you for coming to church. Thank you for for showing up to worship with us, to worship uh, God that that created everything. Like that psalm says, how many of us worship like that? How many of us worship the the God that, that we believe in? Even if we can't always see it sometimes, even if our, our intellect is telling us something different. We believe that, that this is the God that created the earth. This is the God that provides hope to the hopeless, sight to the blind. This is, this is the God that, that does these things. And, and even if we haven't seen that in, in our own lives, seen it in the past week, we believe that. How many of us worship like that with abandon? Because that's, that's a rarity these days. It's a rarity that we, we worship just wholeheartedly. Praise the Lord. No preamble. No, no set of expectations that have to be met before that. But right off the bat, praise the Lord. Right now we're in a, we're in a series called Good News People. And the good news is the gospel. And we want to be people of the gospel that are so infused with this good news of Christ that we can't help but let it define who we are. This is a six-week series, and we kicked it off last week, so this is week two. And this week's series, is, or this week is titled, Christian Atheist. 
Now that's a, a bit of a, a paradox there, right? Christian atheist. Now, Christian is someone that, that follows Christ, that knows Christ to be God and follows the gospel that he has given to this world. But an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. An atheist is someone who, who doesn't have uh, a, a, a belief in, in the God of the universe, in any God at all. So how can someone be a Christian atheist? A while back, I was listening to a sermon. I believe it was uh, John Piper. And this is a man that has studied theology his entire life. He studied the Bible. He knows the Bible. And he started talking about some friends of his that also great theologians, people that have studied the Bible, studied scripture, and, and preached messages about love and about Jesus and preached the gospel. And he said, these people that have been studying all their lives, they don't, they don't actually believe it. When you ask them what they believe, they can quote chapter and verse, but, but you can tell they don't believe it. Their actions do not reflect that. And I got to tell you, our actions come from what we believe, not just what we know. You could know scripture backward and forward. But if you don't believe that Christ is the son of God, that he came to earth, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for your sins and mine, and raised to life three days later, then your actions are not going to reflect that. Your actions are not going to reflect the hope that is in that gospel. And you will look just like a Christian atheist. That's a sad place to be. And we're going to start out with two stories of Jesus today. One of them is Jesus uh, sort of giving a, an example from history about what it looks like when God goes to those that have faith, not just knowledge. And then another is where Jesus actually lives that out. He goes to someone that has faith, not just knowledge. So if you want, please turn with me to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to start out in verse 14. I'll give you a little bit of background while you're turning there. This is right after Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes down and settles on him and the voice of God rings out, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And Jesus goes and, and fasts in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. But up to this point, Jesus had, had preached and done miracles in a place called Capernaum. Uh, he, he healed people. He preached the good news. He delivered these amazing messages and people were excited. So now here in verse 14, we see Jesus coming back to where he grew up. To people that have known him, knew him as a, a little kid and watched him grow into a, a grown man. And they've heard all of these stories of Jesus, this incredible preacher. Jesus, this miraculous prophet. And when I, when I remember through this story, it happens a little bit differently in, in my memory than it does on the page. And, and we'll get to that. I'll explain, I'll explain those deviations here in a minute. So verse 14 starts, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. These guys were excited. They're ready for Jesus to, to come and preach to them as well. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And I'm gonna, I want to pause right there. Jesus is quoting Isaiah, and Isaiah is full of promises of the coming Messiah. And Jesus reads these, and it is, it is this beautiful moment where he's describing himself. People have heard all these legends of, of Jesus, the, the prophet that is, that is proclaiming the good news, and here he he is proclaiming it from the words of someone who promised it before. And in verse 21, he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I'm going to stop there for just a second. Because when I remember this story, I remember Jesus preaching this, reading this scripture, saying to the people that he grew up with, Today, This is fulfilled. Pointing to himself and saying, it's me. And I remember they get angry and they get confused and and they, they lash out at Jesus. That's how I remember it. And as I went to prepare for this message, this next verse caught me a little bit off guard. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? That caught me off guard. They were all on board. I know how how this passage ends, but the fact that after Jesus says it, after Jesus proclaims, it's me. I'm here to fulfill what God promised. They were still all on board. They knew this scripture. They knew what that promise meant. They were raised with this knowledge of God. These are the people of God, after all. They had intimate knowledge of what the Messiah, what is described in these passages, they had intimate knowledge of what that would mean to them and to their people. So let's see the curveball that Jesus throws, because those are always fun. In verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian, Then all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, 
took him to the brow of the cliff on which the town was built in order to throw him off. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. There's the anger that I remember. There's the part that, that I remember. But as I, as I read through it again, and, and as I saw the, the fact that they were accepting, they were excited, they were on his side for most of that. I had to look at that turning point. I had to look and understand what, what made them so radically shift from, oh, the Messiah is here. Not only is he here, but he came from here. That excitement to, nope, don't like that. Let's throw you off a cliff. What made that shift? Jesus describes two passages from the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha, two prophets that came one after the other. And in, in their time, Israel, again, the, the people of God, the ones that knew God better than any other people in the world, they had God's message. They had the Torah. This people that knew God was so empty of faith in God that God sent his prophets, those that bear his message and his power and his spirit, he sent them to find someone whose life was ruled by faith, not just head knowledge. So Elijah went and he saved the life of this widow. She was in the middle of a famine. She had no food. And Elijah, through the power of the Holy Spirit, provided for her and saved her life. Similarly, Elisha went and, as the text said, Israel was full of lepers. Leprosy was a pandemic. People were dying left and right. They were so vacant of faith and relied so much on head knowledge that God sent him to find someone that would believe instead of just know. And Elisha saved his life. So why, why did this history lesson from Jesus make those people turn on him so forcefully? Because he was pointing out that they are the same. They're living their life based on this knowledge of God. Based on this idea that, that they are the people of God, they know him better, and therefore, they're saved regardless. Therefore, they're deserving of the miracles that come with it. Therefore, they're deserving of, of every good word and every good thing because they know it. They had no faith. They weren't willing to step out and say, even if I didn't know that that was true, I believe because of who God is. Even though I, I look at my life and, and, and I put God on trial and, and I say, all right, the evidence that, that my life is, is ruled by me is all here. And, and the evidence that my life is ruled by God, the maker of heaven and earth, it's looking a little thin. Faith says, still believing in God. Faith says, I'm still giving everything to the maker of heaven and earth. We don't wait for the evidence to stack up. 
So do you live with the knowledge of God or with faith in him? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this question down and I want you to leave some space to come back to it uh, later in this week, later in the day. Spend some time with God and, and really ask him this question. Do you live with the knowledge of God or with true faith in him? We're going to go to another story where Jesus does exactly what he described from the Old Testament. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 4, it's going to be starting in verse 19. Now Jesus, he's been on the road for a while. He's encountered uh, Pharisees, people that, that really know God. They have this memorized verbatim. They know all there is to know about God. He's performed miracles all over the countryside. And then he runs into a Samaritan woman. Someone who, by all accounts, isn't really trusted with the knowledge of God. They don't go to the temple to worship like, like you have to. Like knowledge says that you should. They don't follow the same holy days like knowledge says that you should. More than that, she's an outcast even in her own outcast community. This is a woman where all the evidence is stacked against God being good in her life. And yet she is given this chance of faith. You read with me in, in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you, Jews, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus isn't looking for those that, that know the right way to worship. He's not looking for those that know the right songs, that know the right rituals, the right words, the right prayers. That's not what he's looking for. And thank God for that, because I don't. I don't know all the, all the right prayers. I don't know the right order of worship for, for this ritual. That I don't, I don't know those. I don't know how to properly sacrifice a bull on the altar in Jerusalem. Don't know it. But I have faith. I have faith, and, and Jesus is saying that that's enough, so I'm going to believe him. Continuing in verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. I just want to explain one, one thing real fast. The Samaritan woman knows that when the Messiah comes, Right? This, is, this is one of the few things that she knows. 
When the Messiah comes, he'll come in Jerusalem. And he will side with the Pharisees and he will tell them, oh, good job. Now let's, let's take what you've been doing, you Pharisees, and we'll, we'll institute it in the whole world. And her mentality, probably from birth at this point, is, okay, when the Messiah comes and does that, then I will be able to know God. And then I will know just as much as I believe. And this is another curveball from Jesus. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. I'm not showing up on a, on, on the mountain, the temple mountain, Jerusalem, to proclaim this. I'm not gathering an army of Pharisees behind me to explain this and, and to, to sweep through the countryside with this message to teach you all about me, to teach you the right words to worship me. I'm meeting you here at a well in the middle of the day. I'm giving you the, the most unlikely person the knowledge that not only, not only are you worthy but I am here to give you the grace, to give you the, the love that only I can. Because she was a woman who believed. Who, who believed. She, she had faith. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And the, the example that Jesus gave from the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, saved lives, right? This is a miracle that, that provided for these physical needs. They saved the people's life. And here Jesus is. He, he encounters a woman in a very similar situation, right? This is the desert. If you don't have water, you die. This is the only time that she can get water. If you read the background of this story, you know why she can't just come and get water with everyone else. But in this interaction with Jesus... She leaves her water jar and runs back to tell everyone what had happened. See, this message that Jesus gives her, this interaction with Jesus, it's not meant to, to save her life and provide for those physical needs that she is looking for. Does something more miraculous. It gives her the opportunity to put her full faith in him and save her soul. And in reaction to that good news, she can't help but go and tell everyone that she knows. She becomes a good news person. She becomes a person that, that goes into her community and can't help 
but tell everyone this is the Messiah. This man who, who told me everything I ever did, not all of it was great, by the way. He provided me with this, this faith, the salvation that I can't explain all the way. But it's true. And I'm willing to put all the faith that I have and live my life by this forever. She became a good news person. So I want you to ask yourself, what would be different? What would be different if I lived my life out of belief in the simple and powerful gospel? What would be different? See, this woman had a single interaction with Jesus, maybe an hour long, tops, right? And she goes and proclaims this good news to everyone she's ever met. We have thousand pages here. A lot of it is stories about Jesus, things that came before Jesus, things that came after Jesus. We could read this every day for the rest of our lives and, and still be learning new things through it. We have 2,000 years of scholarly research on this book, all of it accessible more than ever before. We can spend 24 hours a day learning about God and still barely scratch the surface after a couple of years. We have more knowledge available to us than ever before. So why aren't, why aren't we all just so filled with this good news that we rush out and scream it to the rooftops? It's a faith problem. We're, we're trusting the knowledge in this book. And we're not letting it impact us and change us. But if we, if we shift it, we live our life out of belief, some beautiful things happen. One, I would go tell people. Not just standing on the stage and, and telling you, although you guys are, are wonderful, amazing people, and, and I love sharing this with you. I'd go tell my friends who, who are looking for hope desperately. I'd go tell my family who, who doesn't really believe because they've been hurt too bad in the past and their, their brains stack the evidence and they say, mm, no, there's not enough for me to believe there. I go tell them. I go tell them about this simple, powerful, beautiful gospel. I go tell them about how, how God loved us so much he was so heartbroken by, by the separation between he and I that, that sin had entered into the picture and separated us. He was so heartbroken that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to bridge that gap of relationship between, between us and God and, and allow that relationship to, to reform. That he died on the cross taking sin and shame upon himself 
and then three days later rose from the dead, conquering death forever, out of love for me. Believing that, letting that be the source of truth in my life. More than, more than knowledge, more than, than anything I'll read in any textbook, in any history account, in any, uh, in any study of scripture, letting that be the core belief of my life, I couldn't help but tell people. I couldn't help it. Anyone that needs hope would hear this message. Another beautiful thing that comes from, from living out of faith is is right here. I would welcome the changes that God has in store for me. If I truly believe that, that God is so good and so loving that he sent his only son, how could I not welcome what he has in store for my life? How could I not welcome whatever changes there were, even if I didn't know about them beforehand? See, the more, the more that you spend in relationship with Christ, the more you start to change. You start to change and to, to look more like him. That's the truth. So if I, if I truly believe that, that Christ died for me and he loves me that much, I'm going to lean into that relationship and I will accept whatever changes he decides to bring my way. And finally, if I live my life out of belief, I would not be afraid of God and would therefore embrace a relationship with him. If I truly believe the gospel, that, that Jesus stepped in and not only took our shame and sin, but took God's wrath as well, well there's, there's nothing in that void anymore. There's no reason for me to be scared to step in and, and to run to God with everything that I've got and embrace that relationship. I can, I can know these words. I can know the gospel. I can know that we've been set free by what Christ did. But if I don't believe it, if I don't really let that impact my heart and my soul, there's always going to be fear. There's always going to be hesitancy. And I'm always just going to step back just a little bit until I realize that the truth is there's no reason to. There's no reason to, to create that artificial distance. God is just dying for me to come pursue a relationship with him. If I truly believe that gospel, there's nothing in this world that can stop me from, from chasing God down. And that's the truth. So I want you to, to ask yourself these, this question. We'll go back to it. We'll put it back up on the screen. What would be different if I live my life out of belief in the simple and powerful gospel, what would be different for you specifically? Again, write this down, leave some space and, and come back to it after spending some time with God. 
And if you want to talk about this, if you want to, to ask questions about what this belief looks like personally, and you want to grab one of our leaders, please do so. Please do so after this service. I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, Mike and Rachel back up. I want you to spend some time praying and asking God this question, what would be different? What would be different if I let belief run my life? Father, thank you for allowing us to, to hear your word today. Thank you that you took sin and shame and wrath on yourself to open the way for us to pursue you and to be pursued by you. God, let that truth fill us. Let that be more than just something we know, but something we truly believe, something that we take into ourselves and allow it to fill us to the point where it consumes us. That becomes who we are. To the point we become gospel people. Lord, we love you so much and, and we are eager to see what you have for us in the coming week. In the coming weeks after that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hill City Teaching Podcast. We hope it was helpful to you to become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. More information can be found at www.hillcity.church.